This is the University of Applied Research and Development's Emergency Response and Risk Management video and podcast. You'll meet world-class leading professionals who share their wisdom, careers, and experiences. Join us on YouTube and all quality podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, and Radio Public. Welcome everybody to the University of Applied Research and Development, our emergency response and risk management podcast and videocast. I'm delighted to have with us today, Dave Capelli and also Carla Mays from UC Berkeley, who are gonna to explain to us all the amazing things that they're doing across the world and in their location with disaster mitigation and all sorts of emergency things. So welcome, great to have you both here. Thank you so much for having us. How about you both introduce yourself, what you're doing, how you came to know each other, what's exciting you at the moment. Let's get the ball rolling. <laughs> I'm gonna let David kick us off. Hi, thank you. So I'm David Capelli, co-founder of Smart Cohort um, with Carla Mays here. Um, we, are a, we, are a research, um, we are a research nonprofit based out of the UC Berkeley Center for Information Technology Research in the Interest of Society, or CITRUS for short. Um, and we work on rapid response capacity building uh, during disasters. Um, I met Carla in 2015 when we were both delegates to the Global Innovation Summit um, hosted by T2 Ventures um, and then Victor Wang, who went on to lead the Kauffman Foundation. And this took place in um, San Jose, California in February 15. And it was all around people from academia, philanthropy, um, venture capital and government. Um, and research that were looking at innovation ecosystems um, and, and you know, how do we create you know, a more equitable world in this world of innovation. Um, Carla and I started working together and this project emerged out of her fellowship. She was, one of the first, she was part of the first impact uh, scholars program at Singular University um, and NASA Ames and Mountain View. And uh, we started working in our pilot in Miami with Smart Miami around Hurricane Irma um, and looking at long-term recovery. And uh, yeah. David, David currently is the sitting, um, my, he's the chairman of the Millennial Policy Commission for Miami-Dade County. So there's, uh, there in, in the US, there's what, there's five or six there's boards. Five, yeah. There's five or six boards of millennial uh, policy boards that inform the mayors of, of, of cities on folks under 40 on uh, their life, their, um, you know, um, their, their life, their housing, their job situation and things. And disaster, unfortunately, is one of those verticals now, um, whether it be pandemics or it's fires, earthquakes or hurricanes, um, more and more. So um, I've had 12 years of working on emergency, emergency management. My background's in public, uh, public administration um, so I went to both the San Francisco State for my master's in public administration and urban studies. And then I went to UC Berkeley to the Haas School of Business to understand this from a business perspective on, on, on building the necessary funds and things that would be necessary in a disaster. You know, how do you recover an economy um, and how do you protect an economy? Um, it, and it comes in handy when we're doing the work that we're doing here. Um, right now, so smart cohort. I was chosen as the as in the first group of impact scholars, as as David so so gratefully you know talked about. Um, we were chosen because the, the innovation and technology were disrupting our you know have been have been disruptors. So um, as David uh, nicely put. Um, th this project started when I was chosen to be an inaugural fellow in the Singularity, Im uh, Singularity Impact class, uh, Global Impact class. I was chosen of one or two Americans um, that was looking at governance. So we, we, we often think of Silicon Valley in the disruptive, you know, um, disruptive technology, venture capital, um, and, and really, you know, being innovative. But what we don't look at is the inequality and the challenges that, you know, with all this innovation comes, um, there's a terrible, you know, digital connection, disconnection, and digital transformation comes with a lot of pain. 
Mm -hmm. um, and so in the Silicon Valley um, and in San Francisco Bay Area, we see a lot of income inequality, a lot of gentrification, displacement, uh, a lot of you know various different challenges. And when it adds, when you add disaster on top of that, it really becomes a challenge. And so what what David and I realized very quickly as when we first met was that David was in Florida, and I was in California. Well, what is the besides the sunshine? What do we what what do we both have? Lots of disaster. Um, California has earthquakes and fires. In fires, David is dealing with hurricanes six months out of the year, and we happen to be joining you from Honolulu, where they they have all the above, <laughs> including de dealing with the pandemic. But what they they have is a lot of resiliency. And so during the, um, uh, we, we ended up coming here to Honolulu two months ago um, to really look at how well they were doing. They're the only place in the United States where they, there's very little community spread of COVID-19. They have very little mortality. We're at about 17 deaths uh, over, the, over the whole, and most of those folks had some kind of contact with the mainland. So they were not community-grown uh, cases that ended up, you know, with, with it resulting in a mortality. Um, we, we really saw that the, the folks here were very resilient in dealing with their senior population. So we don't have in the senior population a brush fire of COVID-19, um, you know, uh, causing illness and death. And then they have a looking at their social equity, their social equity structures were intact. So we see them feeding, we see them really um, growing a local economy, looking at where they're, you know, they don't have to be so reliant on the mainland and things coming in from the Bay Area or California for, for agriculture and, and sustenance. Um, and, and looking at them during this time, trying to think about what is long-term recovery look like. Um, they, uh, one, of the, one of the main factors that we look at is governance. Um, governance is playing a huge role um, in disasters. And so what, what David and I did right away was to really look at, take the governance uh, areas very, very seriously and be able to learn as much as we could about FEMA, um, because normally you don't see FEMA on a regular basis. Um, FEMA's our federal emergency management agency in, in the U.S., so we, you know, we didn't, you know, you normally don't see them and it requires you have a good blue skies, you know, uh, relationship prior to a disaster, which is something that most folks don't have. They don't have those clearances. In fact, we've, we've been talking with a lot of organizations here in the state of Hawaii um, just today about how much do they know about FEMA? Do they know their local FEMA reps with uh, what's region nine and region nine is located just out San outside of San Francisco in Oakland. And they were like, I don't, never met with a FEMA representative. I don't know what you're talking about, but we need money and we need resources and we need boots on the ground. We need folks to help us rapidly capacity build. Um, and we were like, okay, with that, we're gonna have to build those relationships in grace guys which is not the best way to do this because it's very, it's, it's highly bureaucratic. Um, a lot of these relationships for, for funding to get on the ground will literally take you know, anywhere from 90 days to years. And so these are some of the things that um, David and I, when, we're, when we get on the ground, like somewhere like here in Hawaii, where we're studying two things, we're doing pracademic research um, through action research. So we are actively working with them to understand, you know, what what's going, what's what has gone right, what is going wrong, what are some of the the, the interactions um, uh, with with various folks that are, are tend to be siloed. Um, silos are a big a big problem. But when we're in a disaster, we're all thrown into the emergency operations center and expected to work um, like we we're good old pals and and that we share resources and 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 one of the key resources being money. Um, which is not true um, at any, you know, any stage in the game. So what David and I have to do uh, a lot of times is we're like, you know, capacity building and teaching at the same time on governance. And they're like, but I'm a doctor. 
Um, you know, I'm a doctor, I'm a firefighter, I'm a public health practitioner, and I don't understand the governance or the public administration. And then we find ourselves running a lot of crash courses um, in ICS, in NIMS, in SIMS, um, and a whole bunch of al alphabet soup, which causes a lot of folks to like, they're really stressed out and they're angry. They're angry with us, they're angry with FEMA. Um, and it's really because we, we don't um, do this blue skies planning um, to be able to get here. Um, it's very hard, it, you know, we, we, we ourselves and others have a lot of problems with funders in the US, uh, our, our nonprofit or third sector uh, or philanthropic sector plays a huge role. Um, they wanna see, you know, they're, they're looking at mostly uh, meals eaten, shelter beds, um, they're looking at those kind of tangibles. What they don't look at is that there's a lot of work that has to go on before anybody gets a meal, a hot meal, or, or you know, as Dave and I call it, three hots in a cot. You know, uh, there's a lot that goes on through that. And we, you know, we particularly built Smart Cohort to deal with that governance uh, issue that has to, to go on and, for, and to work through these silos to deal with the, the challenges and to make this better understood by the academic community, by the by the uh, by the government, and by the private sector, which is in in the U.S. tends to, we call it private sector, but it really breaks down to the philanthropic community and the um, and the business community, and they both they they both are very um, very different. So David and I like you know there's times when we try to talk with Airbnb or Google or um, these monsters, right, that they claim that they're there to help you, but they also have a very bureaucratic structure in which they work with, and then they work with the public-private partnership aspect um, of the government, which is glad they're there, but they don't find them necessary. So, and, and so therefore, it's, it's a fight between, you know, what's old and new, um, what the technology is. So we've got, a, in, this, in this pandemic, We've got a lot of agencies that move to telemedicine um, as a way of keeping volume down at hospitals and beds empty. Um, but what we found is they, they would pick up something from Asia or from Europe or from, from all of you in, in the Asian region, you know, where they would try to do this. America is not, you know, we have no social safety net. And so when, when we pick up these things, we really don't realize that folks can't make it to the shelter. They don't have, um, um, you know, they don't have these, these technical devices to be able to have a, a visit with their doctor. Um, there's, some, there's a lot of, uh, of ideas of what, what folks have. Like they, do they have an iPhone? Do they have a, you know, a Android device? Um, can they download the app? Do they have digital competency to be able to do so? And so a lot of times with what David and I are doing is road mapping really quickly um, when an agency is already put into their plan telemedicine and they didn't think of the population, whether they're a senior or those kind of things. So that's, that's, that's a small bit of kind of what we do. But we've, we've, any question you have for us, we really like to answer. I wanted to, to pick on some of the words that you shared there to make sure everyone's really clear. And I think they're important words, resiliency and social equity. So if either yes. of you or both of you could just discuss the importance of those two words and what they mean, resiliency and social I'll, equity. I'll let Dave get in here. <laughs> think so um, re resiliency, I think in the work that we do together and for me um, in my capacity as chair of the Millennium Board is, is really looking at um, long-term recovering, building back better and stronger for the next disaster, and then being able to rapidly respond and rapidly build capacity for whatever disaster may strike, whether that's COVID-19, um, a, a hurricane, a cyclone, um, et cetera, and then making sure it's using a whole community approach. So I look at resiliency and, and social equity being part of resiliency, not separate. So I look at it as two in the same. Resiliency means that we're uh, we have social equity and a whole community approach um, when preparing and, and mitigating a, a disaster, when doing rapid response, capacity building, and then when doing long-term recovery. And, and I can add to that by saying, when we talk about social equity, normally there's already been a problem in social equity. It doesn't just happen. The disaster didn't cause 
the social equity. It made it worse and it made it visible. Um, one, one of the things that we've been really excited about is we read about um, New Zealand and the Maori. Um, and, and it's something that we um, actually here in Hawaii, we've been, look, we've been actually talking to them more and more about how do we you know, deal with the issues with API uh, and particularly Native Hawaiians. And can, can we learn lessons from the Maori um, and, and how, the, you know, how the government in New Zealand um, has been able to, to build a resiliency strategy by using cultural competence. And so these are, these are some of the things that we're, we're looking at here. Um, here in, in Hawaii, we're actually looking at how well um, they're faring and then being able to look at the African-American population and the Latinx population who are doing terrible uh, in, in, on the mainland with, uh, with COVID-19. Um, uh, COVID-19 has been a brush fire um, through, the, through these communities um, in New York and, and other, in other places. And we're, and we're looking at it, the reasons why it's inadequate health systems, um, failure to really understand how to deploy programs, and also being married to failure. Like in the States, we're, we're kind of married. To, we, we fund the same programs over and over. And our government, um, you know, there's, there's a lack of understanding of our government, the good parts of it. And then there's an over, um, overlook at like what the, the um, personal responsibility is of, of, uh, of nice people who do nice, you know, who, who view themselves as I'm liberal, I'm neoliberal, I'm really good. But places like San Francisco and Silicon Valley have some of the worst income inequalities and some of the worst living conditions for, for vulnerable populations. So when we go back and, and we've got to get models that work. So with David and I with, at UC Berkeley, we, we've come out to study what's the best. And we will be there in New Zealand um, as soon as things open back up, you know, and proving to you all that we're not dirty Americans with our COVID. Uh, so that you'll let us in. <laughs> but um, being able to study what works, um, we've got to get back to best practice. We've got to look at cultural competence. Um, native populations and indigenous people have known how to steward the land. Um, they, they have been protectors of the land. They understand it from another, uh, uh, another point of view. It's not some, you know, I'm a native Californian and we didn't, you know, we, we still don't get it. You know, our oceans are just as dirty and just, you know, and we have a lot of people that make a lot of money off of clean tech. And, you know, they think that that's where it is. It's, it's not that. It's going back to our native populations, understanding from them and their chiefs and their, the, the matriarchs and folks that, you know, how this land um, is actually, you know, um, set up. So they can, they, in California, we've learned a lot about fire from the Native American populations. They knew to move, you know, during certain, certain times of the year, they wouldn't be in the back country um, or in the hillsides. They would be at the ocean. Um, and then, so we understand different things about where water comes. Like here in, in Hawaii, we under, they understand like how, how to get clean water and where the rain comes and where not to build a home so that you don't have a mudslide or whatever. So th these are some of the things that, um, it, you know, Dave and I are looking at is really harnessing that making sure that those populations, um, that they're heard. Because a lot of times they're not heard. Um, and we kind of go for some, what, what we say in California, whole food shopping, Prius driving, solar, you know, solar putting up, um, you know, um, some kind of TOD, you know, um, some, something out of, you know, some new urbanism philosophy that has nothing to do with, um, with, with how the land works. Because as we understand the land and we actually have governance structures that, that, that do this. So um, when, uh, one person that should be lifted up in COVID-19 in the U.S. is Governor Ige who, of Hawaii. He immediately closed down Hawaii to, he said, Hawaii is on vacation. <laughs> and that was like, his, he was very simple about it. Um, I believe he's Japanese Hawaiian and he said, Hawaii is on vacation and we are closed to visitors. 
And he did something that was, you know, really, you know, that they, he closed, you know, closed all the, the bars, the restaurants, the, the luau's, everything um, down. But what that was able to do is contain the spread. It allowed the local people to rely and come up with systems of, of survival. They came up with like feeding the seniors their kapuna and taking care of the keiki, which is the children and all of these systems that they, they are now, you know, you, you walk around and you, you see how they're, how they're taking care of each other versus kind of like my, down, my San Francisco, which is fighting over how we're going to get unhoused people into shelter, even though we're very rich and those hotel rooms are already paid for. So those are, those are some of the things that we're noticing. So when you were mapping out the system and where things are at in terms of responding, because right now we're responding as a, as a global community, rather That's than right. in preparedness mode, we're responding. And you see different instances in different countries. So New Zealand went into lockdown, never been at that level before, but we have a social support system. You know, we have systems in place. India went into lockdown, millions of chaiwalas who came from other villages were suddenly stuck in the city with nowhere to live, no food, no income. And so they had no support system to be able to do what they do. America, I imagine it's a mix of both. You know, you have the governor of, as you said, where there is actually what we, what we would term a cultural understanding of supporting different levels of our community and our families. Whereas other communities in America might not have that same understanding. <laughs> no. When you are mapping out, like right now, where you are, what are you looking for and how do you, how do you navigate culture to get to the end goal that you have in mind? How do you go through that? I'll let David take it and then I'll take over. I'll take from him. Well, I, I think the first thing is, as, as field researchers and doing rapid response capacity building, it's not like we don't come with our bias of an end goal or a destination. It's really understanding best practices and then making sure that we're building the rapid response uh, capacity for the existing um, leaders here to make sure that they have the best emergency management tools and funding from the different federal agencies um, and different resources. So that could, whether that's technology, um, organizational tools, um, personnel, et cetera. And I think one of the, so when David and I started out this year in, in Singapore, and we did that for a reason. Um, we, we, we were very uh, called by their, their stance on equity. And they were the, they're the only place where they focus on smart cities, like really high, highly smart cities, but an, with an equity lens. And for us being in the States, everywhere we saw that there was, a, there was a, even a smart city um, plan, the inequity was so high. Um, gentrification, displacement, um, lack of inclusion, lack of diversity, um, and, they, and people were standing on principle. But what you saw around you was growing homelessness and things. So we, we started out in Singapore and we noticed you know, how, how they, were, they were able to live high density, but they had food security. There was, you know, there, things were in place. Now we're not saying that everything's perfect, but Things, you know, you could tell that they had done a lot of thought about, you know, about culture. You know, they really, you know, the, the idea of culture about being a multicultural society, about how they were going to deal with threats, um, you know, ongoing threats and, and, you know, fuel from fuel to food to, um, to transport to education to healthcare. They had really thought it through where, and, and they didn't make an excuse that the economy was not going to function if they did um, if they did something, but what we noticed is as we studied the, the API regions, um, the Asian Pacific Islander, that there was a masking of what they you know their successes, and there was a lot of playing it down. Um, and when we went to when we would go even at Berkeley or Stanford or Harvard or wherever we went, they would say, oh, they're this or they have this kind of economy or they have this kind of um, governance pattern. And I said, well, we're if you look, I look outside my front door. We all live in these lovely high rises. But at the bottom is people that are really suffering. And, and they're really, you know, it's more like living somewhere in, you know, in, like we talked, you talked about India. It's more like living 
in, in a very poor area of India with these big towers, um, they, they, you know, where we're all kind of hustling and bustling, but people are, you know, stepping over dead bodies and they're stepping over people and everybody's hungry and begging. Um, that safety, that, that layer in the United States that David and I are, are looking at, we're, we're going to have to ask ourselves some questions about universal best basic income. Um, we're going to have to ask ourselves some questions about Medicare for all and free transit and a lot of different things. Um, we, you know, this, as you, as you noted, that this will be 18 months or longer until we get a vaccine. So this will this, this isn't a one time what we have what we're always talking to folks about is that they think this is like a fire or or a hurricane they like the governor's going to lift this and we're going to get back to normal and we're like no you're going to we're going to lift this when those numbers when those when the body count goes up to a certain when our when our hospitals can't have any more ventilators or or they're full then we're all going to go back in and that's going to, the, the, the ride is going to be a very bumpy one. Um, and and we're, our economy's not going to be the same. And honestly, you know, David and I were seeing already, um, the reason for this, this set of research that we started out earlier this year, it was already not doing well. So we were, we were already seeing a decline in the Silicon Valley. Um, we saw a lot, we were seeing layoffs coming. We were seeing increased homelessness. This, you know, this pandemic just added an, another layer um, to that already that already decline that we were experiencing. So, you know, the, the the issue here in America, you know, when folks go to the polls, when they risk their lives to go to the polls, um, because we we saw that happen in Wisconsin, um, you know, uh, just just a month and a half ago, when folks are going to have to risk their lives to go to the polls. We have, a, we have a real challenge because the, the stimulus packages, you know, or, or these, the CARES Act, as we call it here um, in our federal government, um, has not saved our post office. Um, so the postal service is, is you know, and, and we're looking at that we might have to vote by mail. We might be in such a, a bad shape with COVID-19 um, in November that, you know, we have to vote by mail, but even the postal service is under, you know, an, under scrutiny right now, and we don't know if it'll last. So there's just a lot of, you know, um, we, most of us are like, you know, we love being an American, but boy, do we wish we were, you know, from Canada, New Zealand, Australia, or the UK. There's points when we really feel that, you know, how's this going to work out? Um, it, it's, it's um, uh, to be an American right now is to be a, in a very precarious um, uh, you know, state. Um, your housing, we have no renters, we have no renters um, benefits uh, going through. We have a very slim mortgage, um, you know, three months uh, of mortgage, you know, payments that can be, that are tied to our Federal Reserve. So the Federal Reserve can release funds or not. But our new urbanism has made a lot of people in the, the denser cities um, of America renters. So at 70% renters, we don't have any kind of safety net for those folks. So we've enacted these, um, uh, these eviction type uh, of, of, of an eviction moratorium. We've, uh, we've enacted moratoriums on shutting people's light and power and their water off. Um, we, we have these things, but the mounting debt that is, is accumulating is suffocating. Um, we, we have, you know, most people are not doing well mentally. Um, uh, we've, we have 30% unemployment, and we're looking at that um, most folks, they, their employment was tied to their health insurance. So they've lost not only their job, but their health insurance. Um, this makes it very hard because we have a lot of hospitals. Um, most of like here, we're here in Hawaii. We started to understand that the, there were a lot of private hospitals as well as, um, as public, you know, public and nonprofit hospitals. And because people have insurance and they're not able to pay, the hospitals are now um, businesses that might go bankrupt. So if, if you have a situation like here in the Hawaiian Islands, we can't afford to lose any hospitals. Um, and so Th this this situation um, is one that um, we're going to have to have more governance. 
Um, and so the, the kind of work that Dave and I started out five years ago, people laughed at us. They're the very people that, you know, message us <laughs> all, you know, like, hey, you understand this. I don't know what you're talking about. You sound crazy, but I'm going to have to listen to you because things are so bad. And so this is, this is kind of how, you know, but when we were talking to people, they're like, I don't get it. I don't understand because they're very, um, here in the States, they've been allowed to be in one vertical. And because they receive their funding from philanthropy or govern government or whatever, they, they, they functioned in that one vertical. They didn't build friendships. They didn't understand the government. They don't really understand anything out of their vertical. And it's, it's a real bad time for those folks because they, they're now, they're now, you know, understanding that, you know, that they probably should have, you know, done a lot more to build those relationships in the blue skies. So, uh, a lot of the work that we do is we're building those, you know, we're building relationships in the gray, the gray skies, and then we're telling them what they have to do. And they're like, I'm an academic, or I'm, I've been with a municipality where I didn't have to think about those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And I certainly didn't have to think about those, those folks. That was somebody else's thing. But now they're having to deal with their, their folks that were middle class and comfortably middle class um not being middle class anymore not having any health insurance and um and then they're trying to figure out how because because the the u.s economy is so tied to every you know everything in their lives so what happened is they lose their job they lose their health care the hospital that, that relies on their health care now is not stable the 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 um of stores and everything else um there's there's no one growing food they're used to going to the market the market now doesn't have it doesn't have their supply chain um together um and so we, we're seeing the the reverberations you know you see people like the milk spoiling or 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 the agriculture was you know instead of giving that ag agriculture away they, the government pays them to spoil the food. Um, it, it's just, <laughs> it's one thing after another. And um, it, it helps to be in Hawaii where we, where we, where we kind of dealt with some of those issues. So understanding this, this knock on effect, this flow on effect that's happening and you're seeing right now, how do you prepare for something in the future? Seeing that this is, <laughs> this is the process that happens now. Well, 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 we know the Atlantic will have a, they're saying, they're predicting the Atlantic is going to have a really bad hurricane season, um, similar to 17 um, with Hurricane Maria and, and, all, and, and Irma. Um, they're, they're predicting that we're going to have a bad fire season in California. <laughs> um, it's not, are we going to, we, we are going to, we're going to, we're going to do COVID. Um, through through these the, through these trying times and the fall is particularly already very challenging on both sides of the coast. Um, I we we are trying to figure out um, as we talk with folks. They still they, the the challenge is going to be folks understanding that we're going to have to have a safety net um, and we're going to have to learn from all of you around the world in our other first world nations how you do how you do it. Um, and, and we're going to have to accept that that's not, that doesn't mean socialism. It doesn't mean it, that we don't like capitalism. It just means that if we're going to avoid collapse, um, that we're going to have to, you know, to, to, to protect and invest in our, our, our own citizens. And that's, that's something that um, we're looking at. Um, we, you know, you reach out to Cal OES, uh, and, you know, which is the California Office of Emergency Management, um, it's trying to find folks that that can stop playing with data and actually start doing something. Um, we, we've gotten into uh, too much data collection and analysis paralysis, and we, we've got to get folks that are going to implement some of these best practices. So Dave, Dave's got some things that he's been working with with his board. Um, he might want to share with those things. Yeah, so with the upcoming um, active hurricane season, we've been doing obviously socially distant, um, different webinars uh, with different community, community stakeholders on um, COVID-19 and hurricane season disaster preparedness. So um, specifically around different policies 
that would last throughout the hurricane season um, until and then until we get a vaccine around um, housing and small businesses. And so it's rental assistance and moratorium, um, mortgage and expanding it further, um, commercial leases for small businesses, um, and then uh, creating a rainy day fund. Um, ideally, this what have, we've been talking about this since Hurricane Irma, but this would be an annual fund um, in a budget that would be matched down from private sector and philanthropic funding um, to do uh, rental assistance, um, small business assistance, assistance to fund key nonprofit positions that do critical work in communities, and then fund capacity building work with different emergency management trainings to the college campuses. Something we're really looking at is how do we um, how do we bring the different trainings and resources for emergency management to the college campuses? So let's say, for example, someone's a nursing student at Florida International University, which is a public, big public university in, in Miami or Miami-Dade, and they actually are able to get included with their tuition or their classes a SIMS or NIMS training or an ICS training. Um, how do we bring more of the emergency management components mm -hmm. um, and the education to both the schools, the nonprofits and the government so we build actual disaster resilience and not just talking about resiliency um, and kind of what Carla was saying, the whole food shopping Prius driving um, kind of lens. So <laughs> it's both the, the structural policies to safeguard investments, housing, small businesses, et cetera, throughout hurricane season, but then also that training and constant capacity building. So David, and, and you're bringing County. those together. Sorry, sorry, Carla. So David, you're bringing together this perspective then that it does need to be action orientated, right? So it's, yes, we need to have some money because there are some issues that money can solve, but actually we need to have people who can do critical work in communities with those people who are at need. And you're having to think, COVID is, going to, COVID is going to be this persistent thing. Plus we need to respond to something that is seasonal like fire and hurricane. And then, then we have the, these institutional issues which are constantly creating a barrier. Then we have cultural differences. So you have these four different, in my mind, four different issues you're having to deal with. So is this why you choose action research? Yes. <laughs> because you have to be doing it. it. It has to be, and it's got to be pracademic. We do have to have some of the academic aspects in there, um, but you can't sit back. We don't have that luxury of sitting back and kind of um, doing the after action report mm -hmm. um, and, and, taking, uh, and taking that approach. Um, you know, David and I are younger and, and, and um, you know, m more ethnic than most people that are in our EOCs or that we deal with. And a lot of times we're talking to them from a lens that is way different. Um, you know, like when I go, go talking to my, you know, talking to our governor, uh, Governor Newsom's office, and I'm trying to get them to move, um, the issue is people can't just stay at home. Like they, you know, there's a lot of, you know, like I, I've been very noted for pushing my Democrats in, in, in office in, in California, that they've, they've got a real kind of thing, stay at home. Well, stay at home when you, when you can't pay that rent. Um, it's already, you know, we're talking about sometimes a studio can be as much as $3,000 a month. And then, you know, and you're talking about someone staying home and nine, you know, and, and, and 90 days worth of rent is, you know, you're looking at $9,000. Um, that, that's, you know, that's a very, you know, large amount of money, not to include any, any utilities or cell mm -hmm. service or whatever. And so we're telling him, like, if you want people to stay at home, then we're going to have to, we're going to have to provide them some kind of rental assistance. Mm. Um, the bread lines in, in, in uh, all around the U.S. are averaging four and a half hours. You need a tank of gas to, and, and a lot of them don't let you walk up and get your groceries. And there's no public transit to get there. So you, you're going to wait for, you know, some groceries. Um, with a whole tank of gas that might be $100 for four hours for something that's about $30 or $40 worth of groceries. I mean, things like this don't make sense. Mm -hmm. It makes more sense to give folks a direct uh, deposit of like three dollars or $4,000. Um, because when you're looking at uh, you, all the money you have to put out to a nonprofit, somebody has to get the food, somebody has to pack it, 
Somebody has to deal with um, the lines and people are very desperate right now. Um, they've lost their jobs. They, they, they are really desperate. So we have to have the National Guard. So every, every facet of um, the Guard gets called up to not, not to do, you know, um, you know uh, the basics. Guard has to handle, you know, handle food. The guard has to be the ones who take care of folks. Um, you know, they have to nurses and doctors because we don't, we, we, our system doesn't provide for enough doctors and nurses. Um, as you saw probably on, on, on your televisions that we have to, we have to take our convention centers and turn them into hospitals. We, we really don't have a good system. So we have to like, our, our military has to build um, off-site off hospitals. And so what, what Dave and I do a lot of is like, we, we talk to folks about like when we're rapid capacity building, like what we're doing here in Hawaii, they, they can't understand. First of all, they wanna know how we're getting paid. And we tell them if we have a grant, you know, we, we have grant, we have nonprofit that we do this kind of work because they want because Americans are very leery where are you getting your money? Are you coming here to steal ours? Um, and we told them, no, we're not. We, we, you know, we're, you know, we're cut, our money's coming from the West Coast where we're, we're at Berkeley and we're applying for grants. And then we're telling them, they're like, well, you're going to bring us help, right? And I said, yes, we're, gonna, we're bringing you help. And, they, and then they're like, you're going to go back to Berkeley and make, and the Berkeley students are going to provide us all the assistance. And we said, absolutely not. If we're doing our job right, that's not how this works. We don't get to be the, our, our, we're, we're working with the, wanting to work with the University of Hawaii. We're working with the teachers and the folks that have been laid off. Can we get them into contact tracing? Can we get them into um, understanding how we build, we, we reach out to, to native Hawaiians that may be off the grid. Um, we're, we're building the, there's, there's a project at University of Hawaii where they can split a ventilator um, into, and to take care of four patients at once. We're mm -hmm. saying, okay, if we're doing this right, then, we, then we've been able to get a new technology um, that's here at U of H that then that ventilator is built here in Hawaii. And we put a lot of young engineers and young Hawaiians um, to work um, on these things. And we've created an economy more of the agriculture here so that they're not reliant you know I, i'm sure my folks in california aren't happy with me talking because they, they do send a lot of produce and stuff over and goods over here but that's but that's not what we need we need the the folks in these local economies to be functional they need to get capital they need to build in their own communities and when we're when we're talking about getting resilient that's what it means um, get, you know, putting that money into, you know, getting the shutters and the, the, the tile, the, the, the getting the roofs, um, being able to do the resiliency work local. And it's, it's, it's about those local people getting funding um, and our emergency management program being more transparent um, because it's not transparent. It's very hard to navigate. Um, and, and then we're, we're teaching our different layers that would be in that, that uh, structure, um, that NIMS and ICS structure, that they, you know, they start working together now. So like Dave's, like, you know, Dave's, we're always talking, we're always bringing in um, the emergency manager for Miami-Dade, and we're, we, we always bring Frank out, and, you know, for, you know, Frank tells them how it goes, you know, what is, you know, so we had a transportation camp last year that was a pre, it was like new mobility and all about mobility. So we, you know, um, there's a Tesla program at the community college in Miami-Dade and there's all kinds of different things. And then we brought Frank Rollison, the emergency manager. And so, you know, they were hearing from him and he was telling them, hey, you know, well, here's what you do during a hurricane. Don't wait around. Cause you know, don't have the, the, what is that in the bathtub? You'll, you'll, there's some people who like to get drunk and stay in their house and wait and try to ride it out. Yeah. Um, and, and we found out the reason why they were riding it out is because they felt that they had no money to go anywhere. And if they lost their home, they, they would have lost their job. They might as well die in their house. So they were having a hurricane party. Cause if it's all for not, you know, might as well party it away. So if we want folks to comply, and that's like what I'm telling, what I'm work, trying to work with my governor on, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, is 
if we want folks to comply, we've got to give them something to live for. And mm -hmm. we've got to make sure mm -hmm. that they are not so heavily indebted that they don't care about wearing a mask. They don't care about social distancing. These are, these are the things. So it's kind of this behavioral economics um, in behavioral uh, resilience too. This has been incredibly informative and interesting, and I think that all of our faculty and our students will be really informed by it. Um, I did want to ask just one question to wrap up with. I'd love to hear from both of you on this. So if someone's looking to do what you do and make an impact in the way that you do, how could they, how could they build their studies, their career? What sort of learning experiences would be really valuable to make a contribution like both of you do? Well, um, I, <laughs> I, I can say I can say my capacity um, with the Millennial Board is um, definitely if you're a student at university or researcher, whether it's undergrad or PhD or engineering university, start building relationships with your uh, professors and understanding where their research interests align, and start looking at um, the possibilities of PhD programs and go in it with the lens where you can explore research and, and it has to match up with the professor's interest. There's a lot of funding for this. Um, also, um, really spend a lot of time, um, if you're in the United States, um, studying, <laughs> reaching out to the Federal Emergency Management Agency, um, both at a, an HQ in DC, but also your region. So region nine, if you're on the West Coast, region four, if you're in Florida and the Southeast. So really understand um, and find opportunities to learn their trainings, um, their different private public partnership summits, um, all that. There's a lot of opportunities in this space, but you gotta go do it. Um, there's a lot of folks that do emergency management that uh, they never, their doors never get knocked on. So I just say, knock on those doors, ask questions, be persistent. Um, and, and really um, go in it from the lens of um, being a public servant um, and being able to really serve and do something beyond yourself. And I would, I would say what you need to do is volunteer at the EOC. There's nothing, I think the, I, the first thing when I got, I did a um, graduate work in emergency management at Cal State Long Beach and I had an opportunity in 2007 to uh to volunteer you know in the eoc and it turned out there the the fire season the fire um you know of 2000 2007 the season was just you know really something and i got thrown right into the eoc got my best on and i got the the ride of my life um you know staying up you know uh, those shifts and dealing with web eoc and there's nothing uh, in in this in this work it's there's nothing but to do it and then it's to talk to people that have worked many, many, many disasters and get in there and, and really talk with them. Um, it's very important, you know, David and I, like I, I have some years on David. Um, it's always important to work with folks that, um, this is not, a, it, it is expensive. I'm going to say like, you know, we're here in Honolulu. Um, David, you know, at, you know at, is a great fundraiser. I will not, um, I will not um, try to tell you that this is this is an easy route to go. Um, some communities make it easier, um, but you really do need to be working with with folks to look at that you know governance component, the financing, um, who's a good fundraiser and folks because you've got to be plugged into that to be able to be at that ready level where you're going to be able to do all of this. Um, I can't I can't under underplay that, and you've got to have thick skin. Um, the EOC is not a place or, or emergency management for nice talking, uh, mindful people who, who, need to, who need to have a lot of conversations and that really have thin skin. You know, you can't do this, you know. And in particularly, I can speak to people that are, are people of color. Um, this is, you know, if you're, if you're touchy and you're going to be all caught up about things, this is not the place to be. So... Um, you know, really, it's the idea of getting getting in that getting that experience in, um, joining. You know, um, in America, it's ASPA, American Society of Public Administrators, and the section on emergency management. There's also the I um, the international 
Emergency Management Association. So I I E M I A. Yeah. Um, and then it's you know for for me, I can tell you, David made me start traveling. Um, I was a Californian that was just happy going up and down the state. And the state's about 1,100 miles long. And I really never got out of my bubble. And I felt that, you know, and I'm speaking to Americans because all of you travel extensively. Um, Americans don't travel very much. And I do think it, 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 really, it really makes sure that we don't learn anything. So the best thing that I've ever done is like started to travel, um, getting out around the world um, seeing, understanding different governance structures, understanding different social structures, and then then understanding the disaster, because th that made it, it makes a big difference on how we can we can go in and do response and recovery is you know understanding those cultural competences and those and the governance structures. Powerful, it's powerful stuff, both of you. Thank you so much for your time. Um, David, we connected on LinkedIn. How can people get hold of you if they want to look at your research, find out more about you, David, and Carla, you as well? What's the best way for people to find out more about you and what you do? So definitely. So again, thank you for the opportunity. Yes. Um, both of us are very active on LinkedIn. <laughs> so it's just linkedin.com slash CMAs is hers. And mine is David hyphen Capelli. Again, I can provide you those links and share with your audience. And then also um, on Twitter for, you know, research insights, trends, policies, etc. on Twitter at Carla Mays. Um, and then uh, my Twitter is at David K is in Kansas uh, Capelli C A P E L L I, um, and and you know we encourage folks to connect with us on LinkedIn and and some of our research is actually published on LinkedIn, so you'll find different hyperlinks to presentations and and the, the conferences and things we presented at. Um, you can also find some of our work in some of the public administration, the ASPA American Society of Public Administration journals. Um, and we're going to be doing a lot more work. Um, you know, we, we like the fact that collaboration, um, and so we collaborate with a lot of folks that are a lot smarter than us <laughs> and have more, more years in the field um, so that we, we kind of ground that research in that. And we're always looking for collaborators, and we're, we're really interested in coming there to New Zealand um, and learning more because um, emergency management, it's ironic that America has a lot of disasters, but we don't have a lot of research and we don't have a lot of, of, of our universities that have programs in emergency management. So we, you know, we're, we're all learning more and we're looking forward to continuing um, this relationship with you. Wonderful, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, looking forward.